Looking to your right, just as we're about to enter the Jaffa Gate into the old city of Jerusalem, we catch a glimpse of one of Jerusalem's most famous landmarks, a windmill, the Moses Montefiore Windmill. The Montefiore Medical Center in New York and the Montefiore Hospital at the University of Pittsburgh are named after Moses Montefiore, as are multiple synagogues and cemeteries throughout the world. According to the Chabad website, the first synagogue in the New Mexico Territory in 1886 was named after Montefiore, and so were early settlements in Kansas in 1884 and in western Canada in 1910. Who was Moses Montefiore, and why is there a windmill named after him in Jerusalem? In fact, why is there a windmill in Jerusalem in the first place? First, let's consider the windmill. This 50-foot towering windmill was built by Moses Montefiore to help the local Jewish population grind wheat. The wheat mill was located in the first Jewish neighborhood in modern times that was located outside the walls of the old city. The uh, area, this village, was called Kerem Moshe Ve'yehudit, Moses and Judith's Vineyard. And later, it was called Mishkanot Sha'anim, Peaceful Dwellings. People were afraid to leave the safety of the walled city to live in this area, even when Montefiore offered to pay people to live there. Not everybody was happy to see the construction completed. The Arabs, using horse-powered mills, had a monopoly on wheat grinding. The overpriced flour was a heavy burden for the local Jewish people, so Montefiore wanted to build them a windmill. In fact, the Arabs were so upset they hired a clergy to curse the windmill so that it would collapse during the rainy season. Needless to say, the tower remains standing. The mechanism for the mill was built in England, by, but locally quarried stone was used to build the three-foot-thick walls at the base. The Times of Israel reported that it took, quote, four months to transport the machinery using camels and donkeys the 45 miles from the coast up to the hills of Jerusalem. Construction on the mill tower started and the first stone was laid on the 5th of May, 1857. The mill was completed between 1858 and 1860, end quote. The mill did not work too well, apparently for several reasons. The wind in that area of the world was not strong enough to power the mill. Also, the mill was designed for soft European wheat, not the harder Israeli variety. The mill sort of functioned for about 20 years till the steam-powered mill was built and Montefiore's mill fell into disrepair. During the British mandate, the mill was cosmetically repaired with non-functioning sails. The Haganah, the military unit of Israel prior to Israel's independence, claimed the mill as an observation tower. The British ordered the mill to be blown up under the name Operation Don Quixote. The soldiers assigned to the demolition, however, did not carry out their orders. These soldiers were from Ramsgate, the same town in England as Montefiore. When they realized what their assigned mission was, they blew up only the observation post at the top of the windmill. As part of Israel's 60th anniversary, a Dutch group, Christians for Israel, restored the windmill to a working condition in the year 2012. They used the original construction plan stored in the British Library. The following year, the restored mill was used to grind flour. The ceremony was attended by relatives of Sir Montefiore. Next to the windmill is a replica of Montefiore's carriage that he used to travel across Europe and Asia. The original carriage burned down, and only a fraction of the present carriage is the original craftsmanship. The windmill itself now houses a museum. 
Now that we've described the windmill, let's talk about the man behind the windmill, who is Moses Montefiore. Sir Moses Chaim Montefiore was born about 240 years ago in 1784 in the Grand Duchy of Tuscany in what's now Livorno, Italy. As an infant, his family moved to England where he spent the rest of his life. As a young man, he became one of only 12 Jewish brokers on the London Exchange. In 1812, he married Judith Cohen and became the brother-in-law of Nathan Meyer Rothschild, who was considered one of the richest people on earth at the time. He became not only his brother-in-law, but he also became his personal stockbroker. Montefiore had significant business dealings as well. He helped found the Imperial Continental Gas Association, which brought natural gas to major cities throughout Europe. He was one of the original directors of the Provincial Bank of Ireland, as well as director of the Southeastern Railway. In 1837, he was elected sheriff of the city of London, being the second Jew to fill that office. Sir Montefiore's ventures proved very profitable, and he retired at age 40. After his retirement, he gave generously of both his time and money to help the poor, especially the poor in Eretz Israel. He had met the queen before she ascended the throne in a unique way. She owned a vacation residence next door to his mansion. Montefiore gave her a key to the gate that separated the two properties so that she could enjoy the scenery of his exquisite property. He was later knighted by Queen Victoria and then later granted the title a baronet, which is one step below a baron. In 1827, Moses Montefiore and his wife took their first trip to the land of Israel. Altogether, he made seven trips to the Holy Land. He traveled as an official of the British Empire. During his trips, he would carry paperwork addressed by the Queen of England as well as from the Foreign Office to Britain's ambassadors in foreign capitals. Now, traveling from England to Israel was not as easy an undertaking at that time as it is today. In the present, people try to schedule their flights to Israel to avoid layovers with bothersome six- or seven-hour delays. In his first visit, which resulted in a mere four days in Jerusalem, Moses took ten months to complete. He traveled much of the distance in his personal carriage, but crossed the Mediterranean to Alexandria, Egypt, on a warship with several other vessels. This was done to avoid Greek pirates. JewishEncyclopedia.com describes some of the perils that Moses and his wife braved. They were fired upon in England. They braved breaking ice and wolves in Russia. In Romania, Montefiore courageously risked his life addressing an angry mob. He was not particularly religious in his early days, but all that changed in 1827 when he made his first visit to the land of Israel. The land itself cried out to him, and he became strictly observant. As they were leaving the Holy Land, Montefiore wrote, quote, This day I begin a new era. I fully intend to dedicate much more time to the welfare of the poor and to attend synagogue as regularly as possible on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. End quote. Historian Abigail Green, who is a relative of Sir Moses and author of Moses Montefiore, Jewish Liberator, Imperial Hero, wrote, quote, Montefiore had spent the past 10 years refashioning himself as an English gentleman. He now shaped himself consciously as a practicing Jew, end quote. He became very strict in his observance. In his later travels, Montefiore was accompanied by his own shochet, the, the ritual slaughter, so that he could have kosher food along the journey. In fact, he made sure that there were 10 men with him at all times so he could have a minion for prayer. 
Montefiore had promised to help people, and help people he did with a passion, especially in the land of Israel. In Eretz Israel, he founded Kerem Moshe Yehudit, the first Jewish settlement outside of Jerusalem's old city walls. This is adjacent now to the neighboring Yemin Moshe, named after Moses Montefiore. He brought in a printing press and textile factory to Israel, hoping to help the destitute Jews. He built hospitals in Israel, and one of his most famous endeavors was bringing a windmill, which we just looked at, to help Jewish people with grinding wheat. His last visit to the Promised Land was in 1875, at the age of 91 years. He built a synagogue on his property in Kent, England. His family was Italian Sephardi, but his wife was Ashkenazi. Because he believed in the importance of Jewish unity, he gave a monetary gift to every couple that had their marriage ceremony performed in a synagogue. If the couple was a marriage between Ashkenaz and Sephardi backgrounds, he doubled the gift. He traveled extensively trying to help downtrodden Jews around the world. Montefiore followed a policy that he referred to as smoothing things out through direct negotiations with people at the top. He visited Russia twice, meeting once with the Tsar Nicholas, the first in 1846, and later with Alexander. He helped to rescind the prohibition against Jews living in the Russia-Poland area. He traveled to Morocco in 1863 and Romania in 1867. In Istanbul, he convinced the Turkish sultan to give the same rights to Jewish people as to other non-Muslims living in the land. In, 19, in 1840, excuse me, in 1840, he used his friendship with the Sultan of Egypt to gain release of 10 Damascus Jews who were accused of blood libel. Commentary.org explains that these 10 men were tortured and forced to confess to a crime that, of which they were innocent. They were accused of murdering a Christian and using his blood to make Passover matzah. 63 children were arrested to force their mothers to cooperate with the false charges. And Moses Montefiore freed these people from these horrible, wicked, false charges. Besides his titles bestowed upon him by the queen, Sir Moses had many unofficial titles. Some called him the protector. He was the helper of the oppressed. He was a prince of God. Sally Style, Montefiore endowment librarian, authored a paper entitled A Giant of a Man, Sir Moses Montefiore, as seen by his many hundreds of petitioners in the Holy Land. In her writing, she records excerpts from some of the thousands of letters that were sent to him requesting help. One person called him Hadam Gadol Be'anakim, a great man among the giants, or a, a large man among the Anakim. Although many looked at him as a literal giant of a man due to his six-foot-three-inch stature, it was his greatness helping people that earned him that title. People wrote letters to him asking for help for others, for help with debts, to pay for weddings, to redeem people from prison due to inability to pay loans. The article stated that, quote, Numerous letter writers requested money to help people work in agriculture, some describing their existing skills, others explaining that they would like to gain skills in order to work effectively. Some asked Montefiore to buy land for them to keep sheep and goats or plant olive trees. Others showed that they had tried very hard to work the land, but were unable to make a living from it despite their efforts. And so they appealed to Montefiore on compassionate and merciful grounds, asked for money either as gifts or loans, end quote. Montefiore received requests from not just Jewish people, but also Christians and Muslims. He donated personal funds and raised additional money for Christians in Syria 
who had been attacked by Drew's marauders. He campaigned against slavery and was instrumental in Britain's decision to abolish slavery through its, through its empire, throughout its empire. In 1883, the, in the 1883 volume 2067, excuse me, of Harper's Magazine, found on the org site, recorded that when U.S. President Garfield was shot, Mr. Montefiore contacted synagogues throughout Israel and said, we need to pray for the president. The man with such prestige is not without amusing antidotes, testifying of his quick wit. Montefiore once was seated at a dinner next to an important noble, but that noble was an anti-Semite. The uh, noble said they had just returned from Japan, where they have neither pigs nor Jews. Montefiore replied instantly, Excellent. You and I should go there so they can have a sample of each. H.com records the following story. It had been told that Queen Victoria once asked Sir Moses Montefiore, Sir Moses, what is the extent of your wealth? How much do you own? Sir Moses responded that it would take a few days to do some accounting, and then he would have an answer for her. He came back within a few days with a reply. Queen Victoria was upset when he stated a number. She commented, this is offensive. Everyone knows you have far greater wealth. Sir Moses responded, Your Majesty, my only true wealth is money that I've given the charity. Anything else I possess is merely temporary and may someday be lost or confiscated. Abigail Green wrote Moses Montefiore, Jewish liberator, imperial hero. Wikipedia records this from her book. In 1873, the year of his 89th birthday, a local newspaper mistakenly ran his obituary. Thank God to have been able to hear of the rumor, he wrote to the editor, and to read an account of the same with my own eyes without using spectacles. Montefiore was well known and loved throughout the Jewish world. He was commemorated on two different Israeli banknotes, on Israeli lira as more recently Israeli shekel notes. Lady Montefiore passed away after 50 years of marriage. Montefiore had rebuilt the tomb of Rachel in Bethlehem, and he made a replica of this, of Rachel's tomb, for his own wife's tomb in England. He and his wife had no children, and he set up a trust fund that still continues today to help the needy. Montefiore died three months before his 101st birthday. He continued to sign checks for charities, even on his deathbed. The windmill that we see is a, a well-known a well-known landmark in Jerusalem, but few people know about the greatness of the man who built it and how many people he helped. Praise God, not just for the landmark, but for the life of Moses Montefiore. For those interested in learning more about Montefiore, you can check on for some of the online sources which are used in this podcast, including the websites for the Montefiore Endowment, Chabad, Jewish Encyclopedia, Times of Israel, or.edu, academia.edu, Wikipedia, Jewish Virtual Library, and commentary.org.